may want to go ahead and open your Bible to Amos chapter 4. Who's somebody you always wanted to meet? I mean, think about that. Somebody you've always wanted to meet. For some of you, maybe it's a sports star, or maybe it's some famous singer or movie star, or maybe, you know, you wanted to meet a famous preacher or somebody, I don't know. Somebody you've always wanted to meet. If you're going to meet that person tomorrow for lunch, how would you get ready? How would you prepare yourself for this big meeting tomorrow at lunch? I mean, you probably want to get a good night's sleep tonight, wouldn't you? So you'd you know, be alert and ready to take it all in, the big event. And you might want to make sure your favorite clothes were actually clean, maybe even press a few things. And maybe you bring along something you want them to sign because you want to go home with at least an autograph, maybe a souvenir. You'd certainly brush your teeth in the morning, right? <laughs> You're going to go to lunch with this person you've always wanted to see. You want to be at your very best when you meet them. You do everything you could do to put your best foot forward. Well, here's my question. What if you were to meet your God tomorrow? What if you were to meet your God tomorrow? The Bible makes it clear there will be a day in the life of every man, woman, boy, and girl when they will meet their God. And what we do in this life is to prepare us for the day when we will meet our God. And in Amos chapter 4, Israel is told that God is actually coming to meet them. And because they are unprepared, he's coming in judgment. Again, this is, this is the book of Amos. This is a, a letter written to Old Testament Israel. So this, this coming of God to judge Israel is not a, a final end time judgment for eternity that, that we're talking about here. But it is God's judgment on his old covenant people, Israel. They, they were in an old covenant that promised this world blessings of joy lived in the presence of God in the land that God had given them, the land of Israel. If they followed the covenant rules, if they followed his covenant instructions, there would be joy for them in the land. Well, in Amos 4, God deals with them as a people who've ignored his covenant instructions, and God promises to come and meet them. And this morning, as we look at what God has to say, about his visit to unprepared Israel, there's really much for us to consider as a new covenant people, as the church. Because you see, we, we are also promised blessings in the new covenant. We're promised abundant life in the presence of God. The Spirit indwells the believer. As we look forward to a perfect day when there will be a heavenly promised land. Or we will ever be with the Lord. Our, but, but we also need to recognize that our new covenant has stipulations too. So as we look at what God has to say about coming to an unprepared people of God in the Old Testament, I think we need to ask ourselves, how prepared are we to meet our God? Are you ready to meet your God? With that in mind, I'd ask you to just stand one more time as we read Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. And this is the word of God as spoken and written by the prophet Amos. Hear this words, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria 
who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel declares the Lord God. I, ha I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and a field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. Father, we ask you would bless your word to us this morning. Make it clear that we would understand it well but also write it on our hearts that, that we would consider it, Lord, that we would obey what needs to be obeyed, where, and where it shows us that we need to repent, we would repent, and Lord, that we would just let your word shape us, we pray this morning in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So you caught that near the end, right, where he says, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. That's how it ends. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the, the three characteristics of Israel that reveal just how unprepared they were to meet their God. What made Israel so unprepared, hopefully, will help us be prepared to meet our God. And we'll start with the, just the first three verses where we see that you do not want to meet your God as one behaving like a beast. You do not want to meet your God as one behaving like a beast. It, it, the, the words Amos uses to describe Israel in the beginning of chapter 4 are no words of flattery. He calls them, you cows of Bashan from the mountain of Samaria. 
Now, Amos is referring to these Israelites as cattle raised on a mountain called Bashan in Israel. Let's make this real simple. It was no nicer to call someone a cow in Amos's day than it is in our day. Right? And, and verse 1 builds on the insult. He, com he, he, compares the, he speaks of these cows specifically as, as women of Israel, but he's really putting all of Israel in this category. But he speaks to the women of Israel saying, They oppress the poor, they crush the needy, and they say to their husbands, Bring that we may drink. They're like cows in a very, very simple way. They live like beasts. They only seek their own pleasure every moment of every day and believe everyone around them exists for their pleasure. They crush the poor to get more for themselves. They treat their husbands as nothing more than waiters to be bossed around for more pleasure. They're behaving like beasts and God is going to come to them and judge them like beasts. In verses 2 and 3, God swears to a specific judgment, and he swears by his holiness. Now, understand what God is saying there. God has said, I'm going to do this, or I'm not holy. Right? So this isn't a, hey, this might happen thing. It's God saying, this is going to happen, or I'm not holy. This will come to pass. And what will come to pass is they will be taken as, as servants into exile. He says they'll be taken away, pulled along by their captors with, with hooks. And the Assyrians, who eventually would take Israel captive, did that to people. When they kept, I mean, we have pictures. They would put hooks in their lips to drag their captives away into slavery. And he says that they'll be taken away with hooks and they'll be they herded like cows in a line passing through cattle gates, going through the breaches. And they'll be put out to pasture in Harmon. Now, we don't know where Harmon is. There's no archaeology pointing it out. But obviously, it's a place where people go into captivity. And then he says, so declares Yahweh, the Lord in all capital letters. This is not a maybe thing. God swears this will happen. Old Testament history tells us it did happen. Israel has lived like self-centered uncaring beasts, and they will be judged like beasts. As we saw last week, the judgment will fit the crime. They thought very little of others' good. They thought only of their own pleasure and own luxury, and others are going to come and remove them from all of their pleasure and luxury and treat them as nothing but cattle. Friends, you do not want to meet your God as someone behaving like a beast. And that means you cannot adopt the mindset of the world around you in this place and in this day. The culture outside the body of Christ is corrupt in the very same way Israel was corrupt. It is a beastly culture we live in. Our culture says it is okay for a mother to end the life of their preborn child for no other reason than it might interfere with their upwardly mobile career and social life. Thought it was something for these cows to say to their husband, hey, just get me drinks, just, just keep me happy. We say to just keep you happy, you can kill an unborn child. Our culture praises those who crush the poorest and the neediest. Our culture despises the biblical view of marriage. 
In biblical views for husbands and wives, it praises those who do whatever they can to redefine and reimagine marriage. The cows of our culture's mountains are no better than the cows of Bashan. So if you're going to prepare yourself to meet your God, you're going to have to adjust your life to the kind of life that God blesses and need to stand out in complete contrast to the culture around you today. You cannot follow Jesus and fit the culture of cows. You don't want a judgment of God that he is reserved for people who live like beasts. And you do not want to meet your God as one behaving like a beast. You do not want to meet your God as a religious hypocrite. You do not want to meet your God as a religious hypocrite. That's what we see in verses 4 and 5. After he promises an ugly end to these self-absorbed practitioners of injustice who, who hate marriage, God tells Israel through Amos, why don't you go ahead and go to church? Why don't you go ahead to your temples? Do your religious stuff at the temple. But how God describes their temple practices is a bit surprising, isn't it? In verse 4, he says, come to Bethel. And Bethel is one of the temple cities in the northern kingdom of Israel. Come to Bethel and transgress. Go to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Now that word transgress means to miss the mark. God is telling them, go do your religious best, but understand that it's way off from what I am asking of you. Your religion misses the mark. And he gets specific. He says, why don't you go ahead and bring sacrifices every morning? Now, that's more sacrifices than God required of Israel in Jerusalem at that time. He says, you know, go ahead and bring more sacrifices than ever. But those sacrifices... Because of your practice of injustice, your sacrifices miss the mark. They're transgressions. They say, go ahead and bring tithes every three days. God never asked Israel to bring tithes every three days. So they bring more than God ever required of Israel. But understand this, your self-absorbed practices of injustice will make your tithes transgressions. And he says, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, which is an offering God called for in Leviticus 7. But again, offering that sacrifice is transgression because of the state of their heart. He says, you can proclaim free will offerings and publish them. You can give extra above and beyond what God ever asked of you. You can ask other people to join you in giving more offerings. It doesn't matter because of the injustice and self-centered way that you're living. The northern kingdom of Israel, of course, when they broke off from Judah, they made up their own version of religion. They didn't exactly follow what God said because they weren't going to Jerusalem. But they had not created a lazy religion, apparently. God says, you guys, you guys love to do extra. You love to go above and beyond. But I want to tell you, it's all sin when you do it. Even though you're going above and beyond in your religious practice, it's sin. And the reason is because God is never pleased with religious busyness, and performance done by people who walk out of the worship service and jump back into the lives of injustice and self-centeredness that 
characterize Israel. If you show devotion, but your life is not devoted, there's a word for that. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. If the covenant people of God only love him enough to put on a show when they gather in the place of worship, but don't love him enough to follow his instructions in their lives the rest of the week, then their efforts at worship, even if they do it all right, even if they go beyond what is called for, their worship becomes sin. It is sin to do it. If you put on a show, even if you go beyond, and it's the best religious show ever, if your heart is not given over to following the Lord, it is sin. And friends, you do not want to meet your God as a religious hypocrite. In the late 1700s, some of our Baptist fathers would show up on Sunday in their Sunday best, and they would sing the hymns, they would fill the offering plate, and listen to sermons much longer than ones I've ever preached. But they would not let their slaves read the Bible, and they would not let their slaves be baptized, even if they professed faith, because they worried that letting them do that would make them think they deserved freedom. Their Sunday performance was a transgression because of the way they lived their lives the rest of the week. Today, many men show up to church every Sunday. They give the offering, even the special offerings. They sing with their hands raised. They offer up amens during the sermon. But they love sports on TV or around a golf or playing video games more than they love their wives or children. They do little or nothing to show any of the sacrificial or sanctifying love that a husband and a father is told to show in Ephesians 5 especially. They do little to be an example of holiness and righteousness through the week for their children. But they put on a good show on Sunday. They're Sunday morning hypocrites. Which means that their Sunday, their show on Sunday is a transgression. And that's not how you want to meet your God. You do not want to meet your God as one behaving like a beast or a religious hypocrite. And you do not want to meet your God as an unrepentant fool. You do not want to meet your God as an unrepentant fool. I'm sure you notice the pattern there, right? In verses 6 through 11. In verses 6 through 11, God focuses his word of judgment on his covenant relationship. He's saying, look, We've been in this relationship for quite a while. And you've sinned against me over and over and over. You've transgressed over and over and over. And so I would bring discipline upon you. I would discipline you. I would bring on discipline so that you could see your sin more clearly and repent of your sin. I made all these promises. Right? And if you think about the covenant, God made promises. To his people. And God always kept his part, but his people often failed to keep their part. But one of the things God promised in his covenant, even to Israel, was that he would bring discipline and they could repent and be forgiven. Repentance and forgiveness were always part of God's covenant with his people, even Israel. But here he says, I, I, I brought you this discipline 
over and over and over and over. I was faithful to you over and over. I gave you opportunity after opportunity to repent, yet you did not return to me. They remained hard-hearted and unrepentant over and over and over. In verse 6, God brought a famine, cleanness of teeth, lack of bread. And in the famine, Israel did not return to God. Verses 7 and 8, God brought a drought. He withheld the rain and, and it caused crops to die. And they went city to city hoping to find rain, hoping to find water. It's so bad the fields were withering. Nobody could get anything to drink. Israel did not return to God. In verse 9, he brought discipline in the form of blight and mildew. Diseases destroyed their crops, and if the diseases didn't do it, he sent locusts to do it. Even so, Israel did not return to their God. In verse 10, he brought disease, and he brought military conquerors. So much death came to Israel that the smell becomes unbearable. Even so, Israel did not return to God. In verse 11, he brought natural disasters, perhaps even fire from heaven like on Sodom and Gomorrah. Even so, Israel did not return to God. Over and over, God came to his covenant people when they were in rebellion against him, and he brought the judgment of discipline so that they would repent and turn back to him, but they refused. They did not repent. So verse 12 harkens back to verse 2. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel. What will he do? He will do what he said in verse 2. The days are coming when you shall be taken away with hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. What he's saying is the, the, the door was always open for you to repent. It was open for you to repent. You refused, you refused, you refused, you refused. The door is shut. Now the door is shut. The exile is coming. It's like, the, it's like in Noah's day. There came a day when the door to the ark was shut. These people of God were promised blessing in the land of promise and the presence of God if they kept his commandments. They were offered opportunity after opportunity to repent when they disobeyed those commandments. So God didn't just wipe them off the face of the earth once they, you know, didn't honor their father and mother. That wasn't the end of them forever. He gave them opportunity, opportunity, and he brought discipline so they could see they were in sin and repent, and they refused it. And so now these people who were promised the blessing in the land are going to be removed from the land so that they can have no hope of the blessing. In their foolish rebellion... They were so hard-hearted and unrepentant that God says, it's done. Friends, you do not want to meet your God as an unrepentant fool who ignores the day when the door is open for repentance. There is nothing more foolish than to live under the judgment of God while you continue to sin and think they have nothing to do with one another. In fact, the Bible tells us this will be the way of man, just like with Israel, it will be even worse. It will be the way of man in the final judgment of God on the earth. In Revelation 9, 
When the sixth trumpet judgment blows, we, we read that four angels are set to let loose a horrible war on the earth and kill off one-third of mankind. And this is the sixth of the trumpet judgments. That means they already went through five. But the text says in Revelation 9, and those who survived the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. See, God says in the end, he's going to, it's going to be clear that these people were given indication after indication that it's time to repent. And these people who will be finally condemned, their hearts will have been hard. They'll been hard against the Lord, and they will not repent. It's the picture that Amos paints of Israel in Amos 4. I pray that it may never be a picture that's painted of us. Brothers and sisters, not every bad thing that comes your way is a judgment for a particular sin in your life. But some of the bad things that come your way very well may be judgment of God in order to bring you to repentance. I think we've emphasized the first part. Not every bad thing that comes your way is because of sin in your life. I think we've emphasized that so much that people have heard nothing bad in your life that comes your way is ever the consequence of sin and judgment. Well, friends, that's not what your Bible says. The Bible says that he disciplines those he loves. What do you think discipline's like? It ain't a box of chocolate and a dozen roses, I can tell you that much. You know, the, the prodigal son ended up eating pig food for a reason. So that he might run home to the father. It is not a pleasant thing to suffer under the hand of God in discipline. But I tell you what, it is a wonderful thing to see that discipline and see your sin and repent of your sin that you might be forgiven. That is a glorious thing. When the discipline of God brings the people of God to the place of repentance. And it is only foolishness of the highest degree to just keep on sinning and refuse to return to God. Israel, Israel was woefully unprepared to meet their God. And God said, I'm coming. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. They were behaving like beasts. Their religion was nothing but hypocrisy. And they were foolish because they were hard-hearted and unrepentant. Friends, that's not how we want to meet our God. Verses 12 and 13 remind us of just who this God is that Israel is going to meet. He says, I, I will do this to you, O Israel. Prepare to meet your God. Then verse 13, for behold... He who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of hosts, is his name. He says, I am, I am your God. Don't think this is 
that they'll take this as some sort of strange new God in town that brings judgment, that I was always the loving God and now I'm sending it. No, I am your God. That's what he says. He, said, he says, I am, I am the creator God. I am the one sovereign over all of the creation. All of the creation does my bidding. So as I come to you, understand that's the God who's coming to meet you. I'm the God who speaks and it comes to pass. I'm the God whose word is always true. That's the God who's coming to meet you. I'm Yahweh. He says, I am the covenant God. I'm the one who's been in relationship with you all along. And then he says, I am the God of hosts. I'm the God of the armies of heaven, is what it means. The hosts are not a choir. They are the armies of heaven. He says, I am the Lord of heavenly armies. I have the power of all of heaven at my command as I come to meet you. The time for them to get ready as repentant people and receive the blessings of God are over. It's over. The time is over. He, this time he's coming and he's bringing the army with him. And, and it, it, I, I just understand what this means to Israel. I mean, they were Israel. He calls that one man, Abram, out of the pagan Babylonian cults of his day. He calls that one man, Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. and says, you know, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to give you this land, and there'll be, there'll be many sons, and, and, and there'll, be, there'll be many kings from you, and and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And he says, that's, that's true for you and your, your son Isaac. Then he says it to Jacob, and Jacob is renamed Israel. Now they end up in Egypt because of a famine, and there's the whole thing with Joseph, and Pharaoh forgets about him, so it's going rough. And what does God do? He comes and rescues his people from Egypt. He delivers them. He loves them so much. They're such a special people. And he's going to take them to that land that he promised Abraham. Right? He's going to take them. And he gives them instructions for how to have joy when they get there. But they don't trust him. They have a look in the land, say scary giants, and they run away. Right? They don't trust him. And so there's 40 years in the wilderness, but he's not done with Israel. Even after that. Even after that, he, he says, okay, next generation, here are the instructions again. Go in and take the land. And Joshua leads them, and they go in and they take the land. I mean, they don't do it perfectly, but when have God's people ever done anything perfectly? They get the land. So there they are. They've got the instructions for joy, living in the land. They get the temple. The presence of God in their midst. They can have the presence of God and joy following him in the land. They've got all that. And God is saying to the, now they split into two. And God is saying to that northern kingdom through Amos, I'm done with you. I'm taking you out of the land. It's over. It was too late for them. But friends, it's not too late for you. If you are here right now hearing this word, it is not too late for you. You can have a life of pres in the presence of God, a life full of joy that will last forever and ever and ever and only get better through eternity. 
it is not too late for you. I hope you want to be ready to meet your God. I hope it's one you're expecting. It's the one you brush your teeth for. I hope you're really wanting to meet your God. And you want to hear Him pronounce His blessing on you. So I want to offer you just a few things, a few suggestions on how to get ready based on what we just read. First of all, don't be an unrepentant fool. I mean, that's where it's got to start, right? You have got to see your sin. You have to recognize that you are not going to meet your God and stand before Him and experience joy before Him based on how good you are. Because the Bible tells us that, that it, perfection is the only standard that deserves the joy of the Lord in the presence of the Lord. Perfection. The obedience to every command of God. And none of us have done that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means that all of us need to see that we are sinners and turn from that sin and turn in faith to God. Trust in Him. We need to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent. That He said He took on flesh as a man so He could be the perfect man. And then he died as a man, taking the, the sins of men upon him so that man would not have to suffer that punishment. And he did that so that if you trust in Jesus and what he did, the promise is that when God looks at you, he sees you, Paul says over and over, in Christ. In other words, when God looks at you, he sees Christ, the perfect man. So you turn, you, you, you turn to God from your sin. You repent is what you do. And, and maybe you're, you're here this morning and you're thinking, my life is hard. Things aren't going right. Maybe you're here as a Christian and you're thinking that. I mean, I've thought that as a Christian before, so don't think you're weird. If you're thinking right now, my life is hard. Things just aren't going right. Now, I, I, like I said, I can't say there's always a one in one correspondence, but I think a Christian is wise to do this. Ask this question. Is my life hard because I'm clinging to some rebellion against the Almighty God? Is my life hard because I'm trying to fake following Jesus? And if the answer is yes, you don't have to sit and wallow in guilt. You can just run to the cross right now. You can just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want this sin anymore. I want you. Because of Jesus, I want you to forgive me, Lord. Have mercy on me. And clean me up so I can follow you. The, the promise is there. So, I mean, the first way to get ready to meet your God is repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. Martin Luther got it right in his 95 Theses, whereas his first one, I'll summarize it, it was, in, it was in, you know, like Latin and German anyway, so I wasn't going to say it word for word. The whole of the Christian life is a life of repentance. You're never going to get repented up because you're going to keep sinning. I mean, would that we didn't, right? 
Would that we were cleansed, perfected, glorified right now, but we're not there yet. And so you want to get ready to meet your God? Repent of your sin. Second, don't be a religious hypocrite. Worship the Lord your God in spirit and in truth, is how Jesus would say it. Here's the thing. You are never going to come to church on Sunday and fake out God. God's not going, you know, they looked pretty bad all week, but here they are on Sunday. I guess they're all right. He's never been tricked once. Never stumbled on that one. You're not. So worship the Lord in the truth of his word every day of your life. And then gather with the saints so that we can do it together bigger on the Lord's Day. You know, that's the difference about the Lord's Day, is the saints gather. It's not that the saints worship on the Lord's Day. They do that all week. The difference is the saints gather to worship on the Lord's Day. That's the special bit. So don't be a religious hypocrite. Devote your life and your love to the Lord Jesus Christ Period. Recognize that when he has commands in his word, they are commands for your good and for your joy. Believe that, trust him, and follow him. And then when you gather on the Lord's Day, it's even better. It's even better. So when you make that offering of praise and, and worship to the Lord God on the Lord's Day, it's something you're used to doing. You're just getting to do it with, with some friends who are doing the same thing. So d repent and truly worship the Lord in your life all week. And finally, don't let the world have your mind. Don't let the world have your mind. Don't let them shape you into a beast. Be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. If you're a Christian, it is a daily work for you to set your mind on things above, to set your mind on the things of Christ. Because the world is constantly tugging at you. The flesh is constantly wanting to, to, to conform your mind to its mold. And, and it's only getting worse. The messages are only getting worse. I mean, wickedness that you might have never thought would be uttered in public is now proclaimed as, as righteousness by the world. So don't let the world shape your mind. And the way to not let the world shape your mind is to let this shape your mind. If you think you're spending too much time in the Word, you've obviously forgotten what this is. I mean, get more of this. The, the Lord God has spoken to his creatures. What a gift, right? That God himself says, here, I will give you words, and I will give you words that will shape your mind and make them new every day. These words will do their work in you. He said, my word that goes forth out of my mouth will not fail to accomplish what I purpose for it. Well, take that to heart and, and spend time in this word. Let it shape your mind. Have the mind of Christ. 
So don't be that unrepentant fool. Don't be that religious hypocrite. Don't, don't let the world shape you into a beast. Turn from your sins. Give the Lord your life every day of the week. And spend more time in the Word. And that will make you ready to meet your God. It will be a glorious day to meet your God. I mean, do you realize that Israel's told it's going to be a bad day when you meet your God? But you were created for the exact opposite. You were created to live a life where the greatest desire of your heart, the joy above which you cannot imagine any other joy, would be to meet your God. That, that is your goal, is that one day you will see Jesus face to face. Right? That there should be no greater thing that you could imagine than that. Don't do the things that, get, that would make it bad. I mean, right? Trust Him. Live for Him. Love Him and love His Word. And it will be a glorious day when you meet your Savior. It will be a glorious day. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for, for each person who is sitting right in this room this morning. I thank you that, that we have been able to spend this time together in your word. We thank you for the prophet Amos who, who faithfully went to another country and, and proclaimed a hard word because you sent him. We thank you that you have preserved that word for us. And God, I, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I I pray for, for any who came this morning as an unbeliever. Lord, I pray that you would change their heart. I pray that you would see, help them see their need for a Savior, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, convict them of their sin, turn them to Christ, that they might be forgiven and saved. And Lord, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might remember that, that all of our days we need to recognize our sin and repent of it. That we need to live lives of worship devoted to you every day of the week. That we might gather with great joy and not in hypocrisy when we gather on the Lord's Day. That we need to spend more time with you in your word. That we might be renewed in our minds, not by, by the world and its lies, but by the truth. God help us. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.